0: as we look at, uh, at, at Mark chapter 3, and uh, we are going to look at verses 7 through 19. It says this, Jesus left with his disciples and went to the lake. A large crowd followed him because they had heard what he was doing. They were from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, Idumea. They, they were beyond the Jordan and the area surrounding Tyre and Sidon, Jesus told his disciples to go and get a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. He had healed so many people that everyone who was sick pushed forward so so that they could touch him. Whenever evil spirits saw him, they fell down at his feet and they shouted, you are the son of God. But he strictly ordered them not to reveal who he was. Jesus went up on a mountain and called those that he wanted and and they came to him. He appointed 12 and called them apostles. He appointed them to be with him, to be sent out to preach and to have authority to throw out demons. Verse 16, he, he appointed the 12. Peter, a name he gave Simon, James and John, Zebedee's sons and Then it goes on, that those that he nicknamed Sons of of Thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Alphaeus' son, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord this morning, and I say, thanks be to God. You, You may be seated. Well, in your worship folder, there's that outline where you just read on the flip side of that, the back side of that, the, the, the text. And I'm just going to share with you what those three points are this morning, some things that, that we're going to take and look at, the things that we're going to unpack. And, and the first one is this. It, it, it's the multitudes come. We see in this text that, that, that the multitudes come. And then secondly that there was the, the lure of the unclean. There, there was the lure of, of the unclean. And then lastly, the thing that we will look at here today is that the disciples, the disciples are to, to carry on the vocation. They're to carry on the vocation after the bridegroom is taken away. So the first one there, the, the multitudes come. The text tells us that that Jesus withdrew with his disciples. It tells us very clearly that that this group of men would would soon find out that they would not only share in in the joys and the the popular acclaim of the the ministry of Jesus, but they would also experience the the hostilities that would be concentrated on Jesus. Many of them, many of the 12 that, that, that we just read their names, many of them... Um, will be martyred for their faith. Many of them will lose their lives for the sake of the call. The text also tells us that, that, that many followed or that that, that many went along uh, with coming and, and from the surrounding areas. They, it tells us that from outside of Galilee from the south to, to Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea from the, from the east and, and, and from the cities of Tyre and, and, and Sidon, uh, the multitudes came. There, there, there were so many that, that came and gathered that particular afternoon or, or on that occasion. And, and to kind of help you with this process, so many came because they had heard or they had seen what Jesus had done in the hearts and lives of Jesus. There was healings that were taking place, and, and, and there was restoration that was taking place. And so, so many people gathered from, from all of the, the neighboring cities, the townships, and, and the villages. Just imagine um, our, our state of California—just the, 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 the advanced distance that we have from from SoCal to to, to northern California. So, uh, to kind of help us here with the demographics of it, but but it wouldn't be like on an occasion where Jesus went. To the, to the mountainside or he, he was out by, by the lake and the multitudes came that, 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 that people from Temecula came and gathered and, and then added to that that there were people from Urieta and, and, and maybe some people up from, from San Diego. We're talking about people that have, have gone on journey Days for days to to come and, and to see and and to hear and to listen and hopefully hopefully with this this anticipation that they could they could reach out and touch or or that he would come and he would embrace and that that, that he would touch them and that there would be healing that would be taking place, there was this great expectancy like we come together here on a Sunday morning and we come expectant that that, that God is going to meet us in this place there's there's, there's all of these things that we're, we're hopeful for. Mark is telling us that, that, that people came from great distances, and he's, he clearly articulates this, and he actually gives us um, points uh, uh, kind of on the map, if you will, to, to kind of see the, the intensity of this crowd. Jesus spent a great deal of time in a number of those areas that, that, that Mark listed, And so every time that he was in a place, then then that place, if if people weren't healed and and, and they didn't get that opportunity, then they're going to be in continuance, if you will. They're going to continue to to follow with this expectation or this anticipation. When the text tells us that the the multitudes followed, it tells us that that really there was, in essence, this this great intensity, uh, that there were so many people that were coming so many people came seeking Jesus and his healing ministry uh, there was a desire of many that, that they could be healed of a number of diseases uh, just think about it that maybe there's a there's a newborn that uh, that, that has a respiratory problem and, and and so it's like well well Jesus is close so we got to do everything that we can and so we scoop up that infant and we we go and we we try to make our way through the crowd and just hope, hopefully hopefully somehow some way Maybe there's a grandparent that uh, is really struggling and, and it's like, well, well let's, let's get grandmother, let's get grandfather, let's, let's figure out what we could do. And, and, and no matter what the cost, we've we got to at least try. And, and just think about with the thousands that we're gathering, some of the similarities, some of the, some of the same incidents, if you will, the, the, the people with the same circumstances and situations. And, and so the, the ministry of Jesus, Mark wants us to know it's a very intense time. There's a lot that is taking place here. The word was out. The word was out that that Jesus was was the healer, that the the healer is in town. I would like to also point out that that unlike today, there really wasn't a place where where people could go to, to have their medical needs addressed. I mean if, if if something happens we, we, we grab our phone and we, we dial a certain number and then and then the paramedics come and, 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 and they help they assist and they, they get us to or they get people that we, we love and care for to a place where where they try to remedy the, the, the situation. We can go to urgent care, we can drive ourselves to the hospital, just follow the, the blue lines down the the blue signs down the street and but, but the, 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 the practices uh, the, the circumstances, the, the opportunity that, that these people had back in the day, it, it is in no comparison to ours. And so you can see when somebody has the ability to heal, we got to go. we got to go now. We've got to make this thing happen now. And T. Wright says, in a world where medical skill was, by our standards, extremely primitive, Someone who appeared to be able to heal almost anyone of almost anything caused a stampede. Suddenly the little town of Galilee was, was overrun with, with eager folks coming to be cured or, or to bring their sick relatives. And then he adds, Jesus meets the needs of the people as they come to him from all of these surrounding areas. He heals them with, without reservation. But as someone said there also seems to be kind of this great ambiguity that that is taking place. In other words, the the great masses of people are needy, but Jesus also sees in them that that there's also maybe not even, with some, not a sense of of gratification. The text tells us, Mark tells us that, that the people follow him but I just want to establish this morning if you're taking notes on, on your phone or on your iPad, your tablet, or, or just writing this stuff down, but, but, but many people follow, but not all were followers of Jesus. Are we all on the same page? The crowd then, as we, as we look and as we unpack this, this text, the, the, the crowd is shifting, the, the, the crowd is, is jostling, it's, it's becoming very, very intense. And someone said, as soon as the, the healing began to infringe upon and compromise his preaching ministry, Jesus begins to make adjustments. Mark clearly tells us that, that when, the, when the crowd was starting to jostle and starting to, to press in, when the crowd was starting to, to crush in upon him, and when it became too restrictive, he tells his disciples, go and ready a boat so that so that I can step off of the, the shoreline and, and, and I can get into a boat somewhat out into the water because this is getting pretty intense. Leaders, preachers, teachers, I, I think as I was reading this text this week, I, I realized and I know that this is somewhat of a bold statement, but... But leaders, preachers, teachers, we need to be careful these days because there could be this enticement or or, or this craving for or or this popularity, if you will, or even profit skimming from ministry. You need to understand that, that this needs to be all about God. that that this needs to be about the seeking of and the sharing of, the the breaking of of the Lord's word so that people can be built up, that people can grow, that there's discipleship, that there's spiritual formation. But we need to be very, very careful because if leaders, teachers, pastors begin to look at this, and, and, and if we're not careful in being prayed up and have accountability, there could be this enticement, this craving for popularity or profit stemming from ministry. And we need to realize that Jesus, in this text, he always maintained a very careful balance between the popularity of people, the the popularity, the word was getting out about this guy, the outpouring and the demands of people and his effectiveness for kingdom purposes. It was all about God first in everything that he did. So therefore, when we look at this text that many follow, but, but some were followers of, and when people are pressing in, he had and was a man of compassion, but the crowd is also making demands, possibly for their own, if you will, and then he wanted to clearly define what he was there to do first. Someone said, and I quote, it's easier to preach a sermon than it is to live one. End quote. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it, it tells us that, 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 that God's kingdom is here. And we are instructed to change our lives and to believe the message. Verse 10, in our text, look at it. He had healed so many that, that the people, the, the crowd, the multitudes, pushed forward so that everyone could try to reach out and touch him. Have you ever been in, in such a, a crowd or a, a large crowd where you just felt like you, you couldn't get anywhere? Have you just felt kind of like this is your space and, and there's just so many people around that, that when the crowd starts to shift or move that you feel like you're kind of being bumped around? And have you ever felt maybe in, in, in a couple of those occasions where there's almost like this sense of panic, if you will, that that... If something was to happen, how can I get out of here? Where, what do I do? Where do I go? And, and, and you realize that you can't quickly get to an exit. You can't. Have you ever been in a crowd like that? And this is the intensity that, that we're, we are talking about. It's, it's, it's intense. Only Mark's gospel gets down into the weeds and gives us this kind of detail. Look at Mark uh, chapter 3, verse 11. And then it goes on and then it says, Whenever the evil spirit saw him... They fell down at his feet and they shouted, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. We see that in our text. And the second point there, here this morning, is that there was the lure of of the unclean. In the crowds were demoniacs, those whose behaviors were controlled by evil spirits. So let me just kind of unpack this here for you. But but here we have Jesus. The the multitudes have come from from great distances. They've traveled many, many miles to be there. There were those that followed him, and then there were those that were following him for maybe a benefit, if you will, a, a, a cure, you know, something like that, genuine. And then you also had the Pharisees in the crowd, and we've talked about them on a number of occasions, the religious leaders that, have you ever heard the expression, one bad apple? where they're amongst the crowd, and they're like, oh, you don't believe what you just saw. You? He, he didn't really say that. He probably meant this. And they're probably trying to, and we've seen this on a number of occasions, where they're trying to fragment, they're trying to steal away what, what, what Jesus was doing in his vocation of the Heavenly Father. And then in the midst of that, imagine the crowd is pressing forward. He's telling the disciples to ready a boat so that he could get out in because they're continually shifting and jostling and now you have people that are out in the crowd. You are the son of God. You are the son of God. Imagine from the calm to the chaos that was taking place on that hillside. And Jesus remains calm. He remains focused. He's carefully watching. Those who are filled with unclean spirits, it tells us in this text that, that they fell down before Jesus and, and they kept shouting who he was. But the text also tells us that, that Jesus demanded that they go silent. And, and in some texts, it, it, it says there that, that, that he rebuked them. They recognized Jesus' true status and were obviously threatened by his very presence. We we see that in any occasion where there was evil spirits involved as as Jesus was out going through the the, the villages and the townships throughout his ministry. Jesus did not accept their cries. He, he, He did not accept their cries for his recognition. In other words, they were being disrupted by their continue, you are the son of God, you are the son of God, and all of those outbursts. In verse 12, of our text, it tells us in the message translation, Jesus would have none of it. He, he shut them up and he forbid them to identify him in public. Much has been made by New Testament scholars about this messianic secret. In particular, Jesus is frequently quieting the demonic and, and other unclean spirits, commanding them to, to remain quiet in their outbursts, even though they are claiming him as Lord and T. Wright says these spirits know that they are in the presence of a power greater than themselves that they recognize Jesus not as just a a great healer but but a spiritual power and presence of an altogether different order from themselves and so they yell out Jesus real identity which, so far as we know, the crowds hadn't yet imagined, and even the disciples up to this point had perhaps only begun to guess it. So it's kind of in the beginning stages of all of this. So, in bringing silence to the outburst of the evil spirits, Jesus is is reaffirming his submission his appointed vocation to to God's plan for for the progressive disclosure of both his identity and his mission as he progresses in his ministry. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. You could take a look at it there. It says that he climbed a mountain and he invited those that he wanted with him. They climbed together and it tells us that, the text tells us that, that, that he settled on the 12 and that he designated them as the apostles. The plan was that they would be with him. The plan was that that he would send them out to proclaim the the, the word, the the good news, the way, and that he would give them the authority to to banish demons. That They they, they were given authority to to deal with the, the, the very ones that were crying out and disrupting the crowd on that given afternoon. They would have that kind of authority. Jesus appointed 12 for, for two reasons, or there's a number of reasons, but but I just want to share a couple of them with you here today. And that is that he appointed the 12 for one so that, so that they could be with him, so that they could, could start immediate training. Jesus never chose to do ministry by himself. And, and the application there for us is, is that, he chooses to invite us into that same vocation. That whatever we do, whatever our profession is, He invites us in to be a part of that ministry, to, to impact the, the world around us. And secondly, so that they could be sent out to, to preach, to, to drive out demons, to, to be kingdom-purposed in, in all that they do. What is being offered as Jesus starts this, and it's the title of our message, here this morning, but, but what Jesus starts is, is this revolution in the mountains. It's this opportunity to, to take control over the, the principalities and, and the powers that, that are at work in the world. And it, and it wasn't just 2,000 years ago, it is now. There's, there's the darkness of the principalities that is up against us to try to discourage us, to, to try to bring us down, to try to keep us out of, the, out, of the, out of the gathering together, to lift up the name of the Lord, to isolate us out in a way so we feel like we're the only ones that are dealing with it and that, that nobody else would understand. There's, there's this darkness. The culture is trying to, to shape us. Jesus wanted others to be involved in ministry. We see throughout scripture, when we look at the historical context and, and, and we look at the, 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 the original language, we see where, where the disciples and many came and, and with with a lot of respect, but they called Jesus rabbi. And back in the day that, that when when a rabbi was teaching, the mentees and when they were mentoring, when they were discipling we see that the the mentees, those that were being discipled, they they, they wanted to glean on every word. They wanted to follow every action. They they wanted to to be able to witness every movement. And so much so that that it is said that that, that the dust of the rabbi's sandals would fill the nostrils of those that that were being taught because they were so close. They they were eager to learn. And Jesus is saying, "I, I want to teach you. I want to bring you along. I, I don't want to do this by myself. And, and we see an example where Jesus, the, the night of the uh, when he's about ready to be taken captive in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked three of those that were close to him, Peter, James, and John, will you come with me to the garden and will you pray for me because the weight of the world is on me. He showed us his human side. Dr. Scott Daniels says Jesus can bring this, this revolution through power and violence like 99% of all the other revolutions in in human history, or he can bring it through God's kingdom. Look at verse 14. He appointed the 12, and he he called them apostles. The the number of of 12 corresponds to to the 12 tribes of Israel. This coincides with with Jesus' claim of, of the whole nation. The, the 12 be, became an official designation or a, or a title for those who are appointed by Jesus on this particular occasion. Like Moses, when he went up on the mountain and, and God gave him the tablets, he gave him the Ten Commandments, now we see that, that Jesus goes up on, the, on this mountainside to, to bring shape, to, to, to bring form to, to God's new people. He, he will name them as the twelve. Uh, this new community of leaders, this new community of learners, the, the, these, these disciples, and that that's the third point that's on your outline, that the, the disciples are to carry on. There's this expectation to carry on the vocation after the bridegroom is taken away. And from this point forward, he he will tutor his apprentices and and his alternative social practices, so that they too can embody and extend the kingdom of God in the world. And she writes, says every Jew knew, every Jew knew that there were twelve tribes of Israel, or at least there had been. Uh, these twelve correspond more or less with the twelve sons of the patriarch Jacob, whose stories are told throughout the book of, of Genesis. That ten of the tribes had been lost. Centuries earlier when the Assyrians invaded and carried them off, but, but the prophets had spoken. We see in the Old Testament where the prophets had spoken about there's this, there's this coming restoration. And, and, and many, many Jews were, were longing for it. They, they came expectant of the time would come when they believed when their God would, would and could turn everything around and, and make them a great nation once again. So look at Verse 14, it says that he appointed the 12 and he called them apostles. And so when Jesus called the 12 out and away from the crowd and commissioned them, no one, no one who heard that commissioning service or that ordination service on the hillside that day would have missed what, what he was doing and what he was saying. Jesus was saying, Restoration is on the way, there's a revolution that is coming, and it's coming through the kingdom of God. This is what we have been waiting for. It's going to happen at every level. Church, hear me this morning, but, but restoration when it comes to, to, to mental, to, to spiritual, to, to, to physical, to, to social, there, there's going to be there's restoration that is on its way. To paraphrase Isaiah 61, verse 7, the prophet Isaiah It says here, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all sinners, prisoners, care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion, give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes and messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit Rename them oaks of righteousness planted by God to display his glory. Rebuild the old ruins and raise up a, a new city out of the wreckage. Take the rubble left behind and make it new. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 14. God, God, pick up the pieces. God, come and put us back together again. God, you are our praise. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. This is God's word. This is God's promise. This is a trustworthy statement. It's a covenant. He says, I'll show up and I'll take care of you as I promised, and I will bring you back home. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you the future, the future that you hope for. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that, that brings the world to its knees, listen to this, is our faith faith. The person who who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. That's the power, that's the authority, that's the the revolution that that is taking place. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep up your guard. You're not the only one who, who plunged into hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world, so keep a firm grip on your faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put back together again, will have you up on your feet again for good. He gets the last word. I love that text. It says, he gets the last word. Yes, he does. Then John chapter 14, verse 1 don't let this throw you. You trust in God, don't you? Trust in me. Therefore, there, there's plenty of room for you in my father's house. If that were not so, I would, would not have told you that. But I am on my way. I'm getting a room ready for you. And if I'm on my way to get a room ready, I'll come back and I will get you so that you can live where I live. And you are already know, you already know the road that I'm traveling, the road that I am taking. Zechariah 9 verse 12. And you, because of of my blood covenant, I'll release the prisoners from their hopeless cells. I will bring them home. Hope-filled prisoners, I will bring them home. And then look at verses 16 through 19. It gives us the, the list of the 12. And about a month ago, I referred to this as Jesus' prayer list up on the mountainside. But it tells us that these are the twelve, Simon, that Jesus later named Peter, meaning rock. Upon this rock I will, I will build my church. James, son of Zebedee. John, brother of James. Jesus nicknamed the, the Zebedee brothers uh, the sons of thunder. And then there was Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and, and, and James and son of Altheus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite. But last night, in the 520 service, I, I call him Simon the Canadian. I have no idea. I have no idea where that came from. The gospel just spans in great distances, right? And then, of course, Judas Iscariot, the, the one who betrayed him, on that mountainside. Can you imagine as Jesus pulled those men in to his ministry, knowing full well that many of them would lose their lives for the call that he was going to lay upon them. And imagine looking and maybe even having eye contact, but knowing that there would be a man amongst them that would would betray him and sell his life for 30 pieces of silver, but it did not detour because restoration was on its way. Revolution is breaking in in a whole new way. T. Wright says, here too, there's a deeper, darker side. One of the 12, Mark tells us, will turn out to be a traitor, but that too would be taken up within Jesus and his revolutionary purposes. His kingdom was was not the usual sort and and it would not not come by usual methods. Hashtag God's got this, church. No matter what happens, he's got it. He He could use the worst of circumstance in your life and he could use it for, for the glory of his kingdom, and he can even grow you through it. He can maybe allow you to go through a fire, but you're going to come out, and you're going to be a better person because of it. The Kansas City Chiefs, um, on February 2nd, 2020, just this month, beginning of this month, they, they played against the, the NFC top seed, the San Francisco 49ers. The New York Times said that Patrick Mahomes... Uh, led the Chiefs to to three fourth-quarter touchdowns as Kansas City won its first Super Bowl title in how many years? Any sports fans? In 50 years. It it was a Cinderella moment, a Cinderella occasion. The Chiefs beat the 49ers 31-20. to And then just three days later, on, on February the 5th, you saw it on the news and maybe, you know, on some of the, 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 the news clips or maybe even watched it live, but, but the team was celebrated. As they came back, there was this ticker tape parade and thousands upon thousands of people ascended into the downtown areas and they wanted to celebrate their team. Thousands came out to thank them for what they had done and the, the beautiful story, the, the comeback story. But let me ask you a question here at this morning, Church please allow yourself to hear this question, but, but what would the churches of today, what do we need to do as a, as a church today in order to bring people out, out onto the streets, if you will, as those that, that celebrated the Super Bowl, what do we as a church need to do to bring people, get them up on their feet and get them out in the streets and celebrate the goodness of God and the, the, the kingdom of God? I believe that there could be a revolution. I believe that that there could be a revival in our day. I believe that there could be a revival in in our local church and right here in our local community. And somebody out there would say, amen. But we need to ask the question, what will bring people out into the streets? Maybe we we need to, to think outside the box. Maybe the, the things that brought people into our church or into the church, that, that's definitely something to celebrate. And, and I would call that heritage, and I would call that, that that great legacy that we have. But I don't believe that God is finished yet. God isn't finished with bringing people out into the streets to celebrate his goodness, to, to receive his mercy, to bring people out into the streets to celebrate hope that everyone can have. I don't believe that God is done bringing people out into the streets to help them find peace. I don't believe that God is finished with bringing people out into the streets to help them find joy. I don't believe that God is finished bringing people out into the streets so that they can experience love and acceptance and and somebody can pray with them in the midst of their brokenness. I believe that God can still act and I believe that God can still move. We, We can't get stuck We we can't get stuck. We must continually ask God, God, what is it that you want for us to do? Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Jesus said to his disciples, He said, Oh, what a what a huge harvest there is. Just look, there's this huge harvest that is out before us. And then he tells his disciples in that text, but he says, There are such few workers. And then the very next thing that he does is he instructs his disciples to get down on their knees. He says, we must get on our knees and we must pray for harvest hands. There are people out there that are mad at God. The harvest is is there ready, but we need to have people praying for harvest hands. There are people that are out there that are mad at the church. We need people to be praying for harvest hands. There are people that never have been in the church. We need to be praying for harvest hands. There are people that, that, that maybe don't even know who God is. We need to be praying for harvest hands. But Jesus, as we talked about for a number of weeks now, He told them to take a posture. He told them to pray. And we have already established here that that we believe in the power of prayer. Gateway, what will cause us to get up? What will cause us to get out and to to celebrate in the streets the the goodness of God? As the worship team comes this morning, look, look at verse 13 there. It says that, That Jesus, he he went up on the mountainside and he called those he wanted and they came to him. And then we have a a, a similar charge, if you will, in Matthew 28, beginning with verse 19. Jesus expresses to the disciples and those who were following him, those who knew him, he undeterred, went right ahead and he gave them this charge. He said, God authorized and commanded me to commission you, to to send you out, to train you, to send you out, to send you out far and near in this way of life, marking people with with baptism in the threefold name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then instruct others around you in the practice of, of all that I have commanded you, and don't miss this, but He said that He would send them. He said that He would send us. But he also said, I will be with you as you do this. Young person, I will be with you as you go out onto your high school, middle school campuses. I will be with you. And if there is pushback, I will be with you. In our own homes, if there are people that, that don't even know Christ and you're trying to witness them, God says, I will be with you. As you go out into the coffee shops and out into the various byways and highways of of our local communities, God says, I will be with you. I will be with you day after day right up to the end of the age. I will never quit. I will never stop. I will always be present. N.T. Wright, I love this quote from him, but he says, Jesus went up into the hills for the same reason that others did at that time to shape his followers into a truly revolutionary group. This is the word of the Lord this morning and I say thanks be to God. Blessings to you church.